Welcome to Lost in Revision. All of our content is public domain, literature, fairy tales, and folklore. Our goal is to at least break even to cover our expenses. So any support that you can offer to help us reach that goal helps keep this podcast going and you entertained. All of our music is by Nathan Hubble and is used with his permission. Thanks and enjoy the show. Chapter 14. The End. Part 2. Jim taught Peter to play chess and draughts and dominoes, and altogether it was a nice quiet time. Only Jim's leg got better and better, and a general feeling began to spring up among Bobby, Peter, and Phyllis that something ought to be done to amuse him, not just games, but something really handsome. But it was extraordinarily difficult to think of anything. It's no good, said Peter, when all of them had thought and thought till their heads felt quite heavy and swollen. If we can't think of anything to amuse him, we just can't, and there's an end of it. Perhaps something will just happen of its own accord that he'll like. Things do happen by themselves sometimes without your making them, said Phyllis, rather as though, usually, everything that happened in the world was her doing. I wish something would happen, said Bobby dreamily. Something wonderful. And something wonderful did happen exactly four days after she had said this. I wish I could say it was three days after, because in fairy tales it is always three days after that things happen. But this is not a fairy story. And besides, it really was four and not three, and I am nothing if not strictly truthful. They seemed to be hardly railway children at all in those days, and as the days went on, each had an uneasy feeling about this which Phyllis expressed one day. I wonder if the railway misses us, she said plaintively. We never go to see it now. It seems ungrateful, said Bobby. We loved it so when we hadn't anyone else to play with. Perks is always coming up to ask after Jim, said Peter. And the signalman's little boy is better. He told me so. I didn't mean the people, explained Phyllis. I meant the dear railway itself. The thing I don't like, said Bobby on this fourth day, which was a Tuesday, is our having stopped waving to the 915 and sending our love to father by it. Let's begin again, said Phyllis. And they did. Somehow the change of everything that was made by having servants in the house and Mother not doing any writing made the time seem extremely long since that strange morning at the beginning of things when they had got up so early and burnt the bottom out of the kettle and had apple pie for breakfast and first seen the railway. It was September now, and the turf on the slope to the railway was dry and crisp. Little long grass spikes stood up like bits of gold wire, frail blue harebells trembled on their tough slender stalks, Gypsy roses opened wide and flat their lilac-colored discs, and the golden stars of St. John's Wort shone at the edges of the pool that lay halfway to the railway. Bobby gathered a generous handful of the flowers and thought how pretty they would look, lying on the green and pink blanket of silk waste that now covered Jim's poor broken leg. Hurry up, said Peter, or we shall miss the 9.15. I can't hurry any more than I am doing, said Phyllis. Oh, bother it. My bootlace has come undone again. When you're married, said Peter, your bootlace will come undone going up the church aisle, and your man that you're going to get married to will tumble over it and smash his nose in on the ornamented pavement, and then you'll say you won't marry him and you'll have to be an old maid. I shan't, said Phyllis. I'd much rather marry a man with his nose smashed in than not marry anybody. It would be horrid to marry a man with a smashed nose all the same, went on Bobby. He wouldn't be able to smell the flowers at the wedding. Wouldn't that be awful? Bother the flowers at the wedding, cried Peter. Look, the signal's down. We must run. 
They ran, and once more they waved their handkerchiefs, without at all minding whether the handkerchiefs were clean or not, to the 915. "'Take our love to father!' cried Bobby, and the others, too, shouted. "'Take our love to father!' The old gentleman waved from his first-class carriage window. Quite violently he waved. And there was nothing odd in that, for he always had waved. But what was really remarkable was that from every window handkerchiefs fluttered, newspapers signaled, hands waved wildly. The train swept by with a rustle and roar. The little pebbles jumped and danced under it as it passed, and the children were left looking at each other. "'Well,' said Peter. "'Well,' said Bobby. "'Well,' said Phyllis. "'Whatever on earth does that mean?' asked Peter, but he did not expect any answer. "'I don't know,' said Bobby. "'Perhaps the old gentleman told the people at his station to look out for us and wave. He knew we should like it.' Now, curiously enough, this was just what had happened. The old gentleman, who was very well known and respected at his particular station, had got there early that morning, and he had waited at the door where the young man stands holding the interesting machine that clips the tickets, and he had said something to every single passenger who passed through that door. Thanks for joining us today. Check us out on Patreon. You can help us meet our small goal of breaking even and covering our expenses. Your support helps pay for all of the things that podcasting requires and helps keep this show alive and growing. If you can't afford to support us financially, go give us a good review, subscribe or follow, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to fact check us and offer suggestions to make our show better for you. You can also send us an email at lostinrevisionpodcast at gmail.com. There's a lot more waiting for us all at the end of the road.